0: From Alford and the Tijuana Brass, I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. This edition of Fangraphs Audio listeners uh, represents an experiment. I would describe it as a noble experiment, or uh, instead of a noble experiment, at least not a total failure. Indeed, what follows is a simulcast with the Baseball Prospectus podcast hosted by Ben Lindbergh and Sim Miller and called Effectively Wild. Baseball Prospectus is, of course, a print publication and an online resource that has given the baseball community a lot, both in the way of quantitative analysis and also prospect analysis over the years. Uh, Lindbergh and Miller, for their parts, are both gentlemen uh, with whom I've developed Something of a relationship, probably not as intimate as I would like, and yet I hope this podcast represents an opportunity to forge uh, an even deeper relationship with them. The curious listener, should he find himself navigating his web browser to Baseball Prospectus, will know that the audio that follows appears in a very similar form at uh, Baseball prospectus' website. And for my own part, I hope it, uh, this is not the last time we conduct such an experiment. In terms of topics per se, Ben Lindbergh uh, leads us in a discussion of predictions that went horribly awry. Sam Miller wonders if perhaps Bryce Harper's age 19 season is in its own way more impressive than Mike Trout's age 20 season. And I ask both Lindbergh and Miller, who, you guys, are the league leaders of your hearts? It is Fangraphs Audio. It is a simulcast with Baseball Prospectus' podcast, Effectively Wild, and it begins right now. I was under the impression that I was reaching for a milk stout, a left-hand milk stout, which is the type of beer that I like. Except what my wife had secretly done is to put one, was to put the one remaining pumpkin beer into it, into the uh, left-hand milk stout six-pack container, and so I ended up taking that. Hmm. So,
1: I found that the ladies <laughs> like their pumpkin, pumpkin-flavored beverages.
0: Sure. Well, sure, but I mean, I'm, uh, I'm partial to it as well. <laughs> what are you, what's the problem? What is he doing? Does he do this all time, Lindbergh? No, I never say anything never
2: that was, funny. has literally never made me laugh on this show. I,
0: mean,
2: <laughs> I, do, I do laugh, I do laugh at my own jokes, quite a
0: bit. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know why you're doing that, but the, uh, the point is, It was – I had a um, a, a a startling moment where I thought I was about to be drinking left-hand milk stout and instead was drinking Lakefront Brewery's Pumpkin Ale. So you can imagine my surprise.
1: It's amazing how much the expectations of a flavor can affect one's enjoyment of a beverage.
0: It is. Is it actually possible that Sam Miller is disabled? (laughs)
2: <laughs> One, Yeah. Uh, have you ever
0: thought that you were drinking Coke and you drank milk? <laughs>
1: I've had it with water and milk, which I've found to be very, very unpleasant.
0: Oh, yeah. And uh, we should also announce, post-haste, that we are recording this during a, an exciting portion of uh, today's Texas, or I should say Wednesday's Texas-Oakland game. Yes,
1: that is why I have gone silent.
0: Uh, it appears as though Oakland has just tied the game in the bottom of the fourth and the uh, imposing UNA Suspendis is about to be facing Derek Holland. That's where I am. Are you guys ahead?
2: Well, that's weird because uh, I looked earlier and the the uh, the A's were losing, and I assumed that that would be the end of things.
0: It appeared to be. Yes.
2: They were they were unlikely to win, and therefore, one, uh, as far as I could tell, it was over.
1: One could say the same about their season as a whole.
2: Mm, one could. I, I think one was subtly implying it
1: uh-huh.
2: just a moment ago, in fact.
1: Uh-huh.
0: One could continue the entirety of this podcast in the third person. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm impressed with our, our bandwidth. We are all watching live broadcast feeds and talking on Skype and recording it at yeah. the same time. We must have excellent connections. So will
0: tell you, it's not the first time I've been complimented on the size of my bandwidth, <laughs> which sounds like I'm talking about something else.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I and held out for and a little while, but
2: and
0: then I, I did laugh. I am, I am talking about that. <laughs> talking, about, <laughs> talking, about, talking about my penis. Uh, you guys, I can say that. Um, anyway, hey, listen. It's really great uh, to talk to. You. It really is.
1: Yeah, this is fun so far. I was going to ask whether we should be thanking you for coming on or thanking you for having us on. Or well, whether it's time that we move past such petty... Concerns as who is hosting?
0: Well, I thought that we would just we would refer to it as a simulcast for the purposes of uh, FanGraphs Audio. I am the host of this, and for the purposes of um, is oh. excessively wild, very wild, <laughs>
1: effectively, <laughs> effectively. Mm-hmm. Good um, morning
2: and good evening, and welcome to episode fifty-six of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller in Long Beach, California with my co-host in New York, New York, Ben Lindbergh, and we're joined today by a very special guest who has been talking
0: nonstop for the last
2: 20 minutes, Mr. <laughs> Carson Sestouli.
0: What is the... Uh, do you guys do a different sound effect at the beginning every time, right? We do. We do. And what has it been... I've heard, because I've listened to two episodes, I heard what I think was uh, a, a someone peeing. Is that right?
1: Uh, as we discussed, I think it was coffee being poured which we then agreed was a P
0: precursor. Oh, oh my. More and, so and than actual. If I could also yeah. um, submit, there's a, quite an alert to be noted yes, here. something you want to, just happened. You want I to say says just flight out to Josh Hamilton, but not done that, I guess.
2: Uh, so I guess, I guess I'm guess i about a pitch and a half behind you then.
0: Yeah, well, what's about to happen in your life? There is, it
2: is. There it is.
0: Oh, my, Derek right? Derek
2: Holland, hopefully, is pointing up to the sky.
0: Yeah. Oh, my.
2: Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> Oh, my word.
0: (laughs) And that's it. That's real time. That's human emotion caught on tape. That's
1: Josh Hamilton with those blue eyes during day games again.
0: Caught live on tape. Yeah, Josh Hamilton just whiffed on that. That's a big – I don't know what the WPA is on that, Um, but it's significant. Yeah, this game has had a number of swings uh, already, interesting swings. A.J. Griffin was left in too long, probably. There was really no excuse for that. But then – that choice has been mooted, I guess. The poorness of the choice has been mooted, muted, mooted, mm-hmm. rendered moot. I
2: would, Yeah, I wouldn't say that yet.
0: Right. Well, yeah, up till now. Anyway, so what do you guys do at this point? You just uh, – oh, and Usually, what was the other sound? Was like a, oh, it was like a gorilla, like a, some sort of roar or
1: – I feel like – We we use a lot of wildlife. Uh, we also use ourselves ourselves screwing up the intro – uh is something that we leave in as the intro often oh. um but yeah it, it tends to be whatever sound we just heard or or wanted to have heard
0: do you feel like that humanizes you for your listeners
2: I think the idea at the beginning was that we didn't really know um, how we wanted to present these to people. We didn't know if we wanted to tell them the topics or if we wanted to name these things or if we wanted to, to describe them. We didn't really know what the podcast was going to be at all. So to sort of simplify things, we just put a sound effect in the beginning so that you could just identify it by the original sound effect. Um, and uh, you'd be surprised that um, that uh, Google does not um, actually return many searches for Sound of Coffee podcast,
0: You're so right.
2: we, we weren't getting a, a huge response.
0: Yeah, sorry.
2: Well, we
1: wanted to we wanted to use an audio sample from that "Written in the Stars" song that was the intro to uh, the postseason last year, but we were advised by our lawyers not to do that.
2: We were advised by Kevin.
1: Yes, who was being advised by lawyers. Well, there you are. So we've gone low, low budget yeah. and open source and, and non-copyright.
0: Yeah. Well, wise choices all around, fellows.
1: Mm-hmm. So at this point, we, uh, we talk about crickets often uh, because yeah. there are crickets in Sam's garage where he records the podcast. Um, but we can probably move on from that. And at that point, we then each propose a topic and we discuss each of those topics in turn.
0: Okay, sounds reasonable. Did you, did you bring a, a topic, Carson? I did. It's. I think it's probably slightly irreverent, but I think it's something about which I'm curious, if that's all right. Uh, today, I would what? like. Today, I'm curious as to who, um, for each of you, and I'm more than willing to share mine too. Who are the league leaders uh, for the 2012 season? The league leaders of your heart, or in your heart. Okay. Okay.
1: Okay.
2: okay. That's a good topic. That's. I don't think we've spoken about that topic yet. Yeah. Uh, ben, do you have a topic?
1: Uh, I do. I wanted to talk about some poor predictions that were made by teams or players about themselves prior to this season.
2: And I would like to talk about um, Bryce Harper and the season he has had. So um, why don't we start with, uh, with you, Ben?
1: Okay. Uh, so this is the season when we, baseball writing people, look back at the predictions we made before the season uh which is usually an exercise that leads to a lot of self-loathing. Uh, and so I decided to sort of lash out and take some other people down with us, uh, <laughs> us being the people who made bad predictions before the season. So I have looked for predictions that were made by teams or players, uh, executives, someone connected to a team about that team or player's performance this season, uh, and so I want to, uh, I, I guess rank them along a scale possibly of, uh, of good to bad. Uh, we have, I guess probably the worst baseball prospectus staff prediction, Sam, Sam and I have agreed was every staff member who, who voted, uh, picking the Orioles to finish last in AL East. So let's say that constitutes the worst possible prediction. Uh, and the best possible prediction would be a correct prediction of, uh, some sort of award or, or season finalist or, you know, some standings thing, something you pick correctly. So if, uh, if a one is, is a perfect prediction and a ten is picking the Orioles to finish last mm-hmm. unanimously, uh, I would like to know how each of these scores for you guys. So. Mm. Uh, starting off, I have about ten of these. So the first one, and just wait, going I need back. to I need to clarify the scale. <laughs> okay, yes,
2: I understand that the uh, Orioles are at the at the bottom, and and a correct prediction is at the top. Yes, uh, are we then to only assign a score that is a similar similar level of prediction, or are we doing a one to ten scale?
1: Uh I think we can go pure one to ten. These are all going to be predictions that did not come true because predictions that did come true are not what I want to celebrate here. Um, so they will all be bad.
0: You're tearing so people will, down as as you noted. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Essentially. Uh
1: so the first one, just kind of going in alphabetical order here, is Mike Sosha uh telling Bobby Abreu that he would get somewhere in the range of 400 plate appearances for the Angels this season. It was uh, something of a controversy this, this spring. Abreu wanted to start. It didn't look like he was going to be able to start, so Sosha kind of told him he would get plenty of playing time. He ended up being released by the Angels in April, I believe, and making a total of 257 plate appearances between both of his teams this year
2: uh so that's a interesting p- uh prediction because um like 80 percent of the variable in that prediction is mike sosha himself and uh <laughs> so so it is unlikely it, it is sort of surprising and it, i guess it was unlikely that mike sosha would mispredict his own heart uh, although i suppose we all do at least a few times before we finally settle down with a special lady um I would say, I would say, I would say that is like a a four, uh, because Abreu was very poor last year, but he did still show some on base skills, and there was a, a, certainly a, a, an idea that he could contribute to a, a lineup still.
0: Right, and what? Wait, so wait, what is the the most failing type of? it's called a ten. That's the, yes. You've, all right. Uh, yeah, in fact. Um, I'm going to give I – mean, I will also skew low uh, two or three because I'm going to guess that Mike Sosha didn't actually believe what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to guess that he said that so that he could um, make this player on his team feel better, uh, but he was lying. He was doing it in a, like a liar. <laughs> it was how he <laughs> yes. was doing it. And then uh, – but then, of course, Bobby Abreu did, as you know, get uh, at least some percentage of those 400 uh, and, and uh, still posted – uh, and uh, Sam, you and I corresponded about this briefly yesterday via Twitter. Uh, still posted it in OBP above three fifty.
2: I honestly don't remember
0: this at all. You were I remember drunk. you were drunk. Very oh, this drunk. was
2: my you uh, you the Baba Abreu. I talked yes. about Bob Abreu. You mentioned yeah. Bob Abreu, yeah, yeah, because his uh, his card back at, at the uh, back in nineteen ninety seven. His baseball cards all labeled him Bob. Oh yeah. Well, that's. It's hard to. Isn't it hard to imagine Bobby Abreu as Bob? Doesn't it change everything?
0: <laughs> it changes something. It mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So that is a variable, obviously, with these team predictions. Is that it is quite difficult to find uh, a team executive predicting failure for his team or a player on his team, which is disappointing. I would enjoy
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> You've got ten of these.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe we could we get a best on list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh
1: okay, so let's see. Uh, uh we have Freddie Gonzalez predicting that Dan Ugla will be a guy who hits two eighty two ninety with thirty homers and ninety RBI. Uh Dan Ugla hit two nineteen with nineteen homers and was benched for a while by Freddie Gonzalez.
2: Oh, interesting. Uh the yeah, numbers I that hit
1: 233 he hit two thirty three last year
0: for reference.
2: Yeah. The other numbers though that he gave were pretty similar to Dan Ugla numbers. So and, and he hit two eighty seven the season before that. So basically he was just talking about uh Dan Ugla regaining his his Babbitt, essentially, and otherwise remaining the same, and then Dan Ugla instead cratered,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Yes, pretty
2: much. So let's call that one, because Stan Uglo was pretty poor, but he also walked 93 times, his first black ink. Uh, let's call that one a 4.2. Okay.
0: What is black ink? Is it, that's not, I only know that in the context of the Hall of Fame situation.
2: Uh, it means he led the league in a category. So black oh. ink on his
0: uh, baseball reference page. Oh, that's, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's um, great baseball lingo there, Sam Miller.
1: Uh, we can just do these rapid fire.
0: Uh, wait, is, Carson didn't give any, Carson didn't it Carson. I also say, I think it's not, uh, I don't think it's particularly egregious. I think that, uh, I don't think it would be unreasonable to, maybe not to expect, it's hard to expect 30 home runs from most people, uh, but I don't think it's totally outside the realm. I'd say three again.
2: He had, he had done it five years
0: in a row, for example.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Okay. No, okay. No. Uh, so it was harder than I expected to find Red Sox people making grand predictions for the Red Sox. Uh, unfortunately, Ben Sherrington was fairly humble in the preseason and avoided making any, uh, optimistic claims. But John Henry was not so much and he said, uh, it's turning into a productive offseason. We're going to have a great team this year.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, well, that was way off.
1: <laughs> yes, thank you for clarifying that.
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna say great season has enough uh, vagueness, but on the other hand, uh, considering their payroll and, and pedigree, uh, great for the Red Sox would probably be making the postseason. Um, the season is not over, to be fair. The season <laughs> is not over, but they look unlikely to make October. So let's I'm gonna call that. An, an eight and
0: a half. Yeah. Now, listen, I've previously been doing this. The first two I've gauged on uh, process. Uh, this one I will gauge on result. Um, mm-hmm. I've decided to switch tact midstream, and that is what has made me a success as a sports writer. <laughs> <laughs> and I will okay. say ten.
1: <laughs> oh. I will
0: say ten. And as uh, D- uh, Dane Perry uh, submitted on the Fangraphs Audio podcast the other day re- with regard to Heath Bell, um, I think that – John Henry, and everyone in the Red Sox organization should be boiled in hot oil. <laughs> okay.
1: All right, that's a, that's a bold opinion.
0: Yeah. A five-alarm uh, five sports opinion is actually what, <laughs> what he referred to it as. <laughs> uh,
1: okay. uh, we have uh, Alex White, uh, and I hate to pick on Alex White, but he, he said, I think we're going to thrive as a pitching staff. By the end of the year, we're going to have some things figured out and be a pretty good pitching staff.
2: Well, they figured some things out. Um, they figured <laughs> out that they weren't very they good. Weren't good pitching staff. They figured out they needed new pitchers. They figured out they should be doing things differently. Um, I'm going to call it a five and a half.
0: Um, if I could submit, I actually think that it was not necessarily the pieces that they acquired, but um, there were actually some pieces including – uh, including Alex White himself, there were some pieces that I personally found uh, to be uh, reasons for optimism on the, the Rockies pitching staff. I, I think that um, uh, besides him, um, Hulis Chassin had not, for example, been terrible in the past. Uh, in the past, Also, who was the guy who got hit in the head uh, last year? Uh, because he, uh, had, he had actually been excellent at one point, too. And Drew he- Pomeranz was also notable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Juan Nicasio is who I'm thinking of. I was very excited about Juan Nicasio entering this season. I never uh, thought that uh, Jeremy Guthrie or Jamie Moyer would work out, though. Um, So I'll say five. Okay.
1: Uh, Next we have Carlos Lee. uh, And you can find many, many team predictions or player predictions saying that a team will surprise some people or do better than expected, and those are very nebulous terms. So I avoided those. Uh, but Carlos Lee claimed that the Astros would be a lot better than they were last year. Uh, they won 56 games last year. They have won 55 games, as we record.
2: No kidding. They didn't get worse, huh? No. I would have bet anything that they were worse. Uh,
1: I haven't looked at the underlying numbers. but in
0: They terms have of jettisoned, basically, uh, their entire starting lineup from the beginning of the 2011 season. I believe that they have gotten rid of I mean what everybody except for two uh, Is there anyone who's still around?
1: Anyone? Uh well,
2: uh, in the lineup you mean? Sure. Not not on the team.
0: Right. Brett Wallace Brett Wallace maybe in the city.
2: I don't I don't actually I I couldn't tell you the Astros 2011 opening day lineup off the top of my head.
0: Well, what the hell? <laughs> what do you get paid for?
2: Um but I think that there's uh, there's probably – I mean, I guess the definition the, – the, 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 the thing that we need to define is what a lot better means in this context. Um, I, I think that if they won 56 games last year, um, a colleague of yours, Carson, um, Jeff Sullivan, wrote a piece at the beginning of the year about the Astros being the worst team ever projected and um, looked at projection systems that um, have the Astros losing 100 games, which is almost unheard of. There's so much uh, regression in most of these uh, and, and caution in most of these projection systems that that even the worst team, you'll rarely see a projection of more than you know 92, 93 losses. So the Astros were projected to be basically the worst team of all time um, uh, on average, and even at that, they I think they were only projected to lose like between 99 and 102 games. So the the fact that they had lost 106 the, the year before, I think that um, it was not unreasonable to think that they could uh, win um, five games more without doing anything and 10 if a few things broke right and maybe 15 if they had a miracle season. And it just didn't happen. They Instead, they were the same. So I'm going to call that a two and a half.
0: Yeah, two and a half. Okay. For the same exact uh, reasons.
1: Matt Kemp, 50-50 season.
0: And he's like
2: 21-6?
1: Yeah, something like that. Uh, if Even if he had had a full season, uh, if you extended his stats, he would not have come close. Although, of course, he was playing herd for a lot of that time. He is at 23-9.
2: It's uh it's weird because I don't know that any prediction uh, player prediction comes true less often than the stolen base one, which is weird because that's the one they have the most agency over. Um, I don't know why these guys are constantly saying they're gonna steal seventy times or whatever. Um, because uh I don't know that you uh, what it's weird it's crazy. I'm gonna call I'm, that's a that's a whopper. I'm gonna call that one a whopper. But on the other hand, he was. Uh, on an MVP pace before everything got hurt. So um, now I'm downgrading. I'm going to say 7 and 2 sevens.
0: I'm going to say a little bit higher uh, because I do think that it uh, – I guess, I mean, it's – 50-50 is insane.
2: 50-50 is, is crazy. That's yeah. true. 50-50 is crazy. He's saying that he was going to be 50-50. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. He's going to be – I mean, that that's never been done before. I think it would be hard um, not to be – an MVP sort of player if you're hitting – well, if you're hitting 50 home runs in the current run environment anyway. Um, and then you're on base enough when you're not hitting home runs to steal those 50 bases. Uh, yeah, that's pretty – Yeah,
2: cool. that's that's an insane that, – yeah, he's he's insane.
0: Nine. I,
2: <laughs> nine. Nine is fair.
0: Nine Whatever is fair. Miller is going to do, and then I'll I'll do like a ten hire.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, I'm what
2: gonna, is – wait, what is – oh, is Ben playing too?
1: No, i have not. I was I, going is, to move on. Please continue. What,
2: no, I just want to say that 50-50 has not only never been done, but it really hasn't even come close. The closest I'm, I'm looking right now, the closest that's ever come, uh, for anybody who's done 35-35, uh, the closest is 42-46. and 46. Um, I guess you might say the closest ever is, I think Eric Davis had a 37-50 and 50 season um, so maybe you could say that's the closest, because at least he got to one of them. But yeah, there's a huge gap between the previous best season and the night. I mean, it'd be like Usain Bolt saying he's going to run a an eight nine.
0: What does he actually run?
2: Uh, like a nine five five, I think.
0: Oh, wow. you know
1: about track.
0: Times. Yeah, you really pulled that out with <laughs> celerity. <laughs>
2: All right, next.
1: Okay, I'm going to skip over a couple because this has taken way too long, and I apologize for coming up with such an engrossing topic. No,
2: it's it's the end of the season. We can go long. You're too charming, Ben Lindbergh.
0: That's the problem.
1: Yes, that is my main failing. Um, Okay, so the last one on my list here, uh, Sam wrote something, I guess, in the early morning hours of Wednesday about how terribly everyone did at predicting the A's uh, before the season and during the season. So Billy Bean was also one of those people. He said, the fact of the matter is, for us to compete, we're going to have to have a new stadium, and I don't think there was a move we could have made that would have put us in a position to compete with a club like the Angels or Texas, given what they have and where they're headed and some of those signings.
2: Now, some might think that a good editor would have told his writer this information while he was working on
1: the piece. <laughs> uh, well, yes. yeah, That would be a valid point.
2: That's like, uh, I mean, that, that, he has all the incentive in the world to lie and say that he will compete. And so the fact that, uh, he said that means that he really was probably, uh, 10 or 12 degrees, uh, more pessimistic than he indicated with that quote. I'm going to call that a easy 10.
1: Well,
2: well he I, I think that
0: he's, he's, switched, he's switched tact. Yeah. He, he has been. He, there have certainly been cases where he's made – I mean, even in Moneyball, it's covered that he makes the case to Major League Baseball that they can't compete. Uh, he stated that before.
2: So, oh, so so you think that he was actually – that he had uh, – his incentive was to actually exaggerate the other way?
1: Yeah, I think he's posturing for the new stadium. Like I, you say, you see the Rays do sometimes uh, saying that they can't compete. Yeah. Even when they win, they can't draw anyone there. They need a new stadium. I give it a one. <sighs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think a team like the Angels – or no, like the A's is always one that's uh, – I mean, uh, if you talk talking in averages, they're like their best hope, right, is to have like sort of peak seasons, right? So they go in with like four or five-year cycles where they kind of develop a team, hope to acquire a couple free agents, have one or two great years, and then it's dis- it's dismantled. And th- that's sort of the best-case scenario, I think probably what the Rays done is on one extreme of that, and you know, like what the, oh, I don't know, the Royals have done is on the other, something like that. But um, yeah, it, uh, there's no reason to think, I guess, with the exception of the Suspettis signing, that what has happened was going to happen.
2: I would like to, um, if I could, I, I would like to actually add one. Sure. Um, uh, the Angels uh, before the season uh, had Mark Trumbo as their third baseman and. Uh, I believe, if I'm reading this correctly, um, they set a floor for him at 40 games at third base and gradually moved the ceiling upward. And so uh, there was uh, every indication that they thought that Mark Trumbo could be um, at least maybe like a halftime player at third base. And, in fact, Mark Trumbo, who I um, don't want to pick on, he had a fine year, and he did his very best at a position that almost nobody thought that he was physically capable of, of playing just by, by genetics. Um, but his, um, his UZR, uh, per 150 at third base, uh, was negative, uh, negative 100.6. And, and, and the, 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 there are of course, um, there are of course problems with, uh, defensive metrics and small samples. I don't think there is a problem with this one. He literally <laughs> made, he literally made half of the plays, uh, that came to him. Um, and he ended up playing um sixty three innings there I think that's uh like eight or nine games uh if you include the times he was pulled for defensive replacements, so that did not turn out to be uh a realistic projection for him at third base. Does anybody want to put a number on it mm.
0: yeah that's a ten that's a ten yes that's that could a bad be. <laughs> yeah wait he made, how many errors did he make? Do you have the numbers right there? Uh, uh, no let me check. I, I, I
2: is, uh, yeah, yeah. He, um, his standard fielding, uh, chances 14, put outs 5, assists 5, errors 4.
0: Oh, my. Uh, so, oh, that's so, so good. Seven,
2: and, and, uh, I, actually, I, I, I watched those games and there was, uh, there was a, um, there were, there were actually at least two balls that he charged on that were base hits that would have probably been converted by a competent, um, Third baseman, and I believe, I believe. Oh, there was also a throw to him that he just dropped, and so was not able to make the tag. So there were other plays he didn't make, um, but uh, he turned it around. Uh, really, a uh, example of a successful human being.
0: Yeah. So
1: he's kind of the opposite of Miguel Cabrera, who few saber types thought would be able to stick at third, but has somehow played uh, 160 games this year, or will have played 161 uh almost all of them at third, um which is not something most people expected. I read today in a, a Bob Nightingale column at USA Today that uh Cabrera has startled scouts with his adequacy.
2: I saw that too. I don't <laughs> that know is, that's, yeah, that's,
1: <laughs> that an, that's I don't know that that's, that's accurate. <laughs>
2: right. I uh I Ben I it's one thing to point out a man's hundred negative hundred point six U Z R, but it's another to call him the opposite of Miguel Cabrera. That is just
0: too far. <laughs> well, I think I um, that's actually that's – some of maybe the best writing I've ever encountered. Uh, it's certainly something <laughs> I'll, I'll file away to describe someone as startling someone with your adequacy. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. That would be a great headstone. He startled everyone with his adequacy. <laughs>
1: Uh, all right. Let's do uh, Sam's topic so that I can come up with an answer for Carson. All right. All right.
2: So mine is mine is actually fairly quick. We'll just go around the horn. But um, Dave Cameron, um, Carson. Um, yeah. Do you you, you know him?
0: Uh, I've heard of him.
2: So he mentioned today that. Um, that Bryce Harper has now officially passed Melott for the greatest season by a 19-year-old in history and by your model for uh, war. Similarly, uh, he has uh, similar numbers by baseball references model for war and by baseball prospectus uh, model for warp. Um, and much has obviously been made of, of Mike Trout having the greatest season ever for a 20-year-old. Um, and I just want to know if we're sleeping on Bryce Harper if the, if his season as a 19 year old is is actually every bit as impressive as trouts, um, and I say that because uh, age is, is such a, a massive uh, signifier for baseball players, and um, I wonder whether we're not translating enough uh, the difficulty of succeeding in the majors at age 19. Um, obviously it's difficult to do it at 20, almost nobody does. Uh, but to find 19-year-olds who are passable is uh, is almost impossible. And I know when Trout came up last year, I looked at the 19-year-olds that have played um, in the majors since uh, since Griffey, and basically I think uh, you could maybe argue that two of them, Edgar Renteria and, and Andrew Jones, were were even passable, uh, and pretty much all the rest were were fairly poor. 20-year-olds, of course, have a huge disadvantage, but there are more successful 20-year-olds in baseball's history. So. Uh, can you make the case? Would you make the case? Should anybody make the case that Bryce Harper has actually had the more impressive season?
0: Well, do you mind if I do you mind if I go, Ben? Nope. Oh. Please. Uh, I was actually talking with Mike Newman, who uh, originally was scouting the Sally, does a lot of prospect stuff for Fangraphs now, and we were talking about uh, Wilmer Flores's season this year in the minor leagues, and uh, Wilmer Flores, of course, at one point was a sort of was considered a top prospect in the med system and then because he played you know like he didn't wow everyone as a 19 year old at A ball he uh, sort of fell out of favor as a prospect um, has played his way back into prospect status by playing well even at the AA level this year i believe it was and he said well he said this is a there's a lot to be said here for how we assess players relative you know especially in terms of age relative to level and I think there's still a lot of uh, sort of frontier um, to, to be uh, to this conversation, especially when we talk about prospect age players. Um, which I think is like, if nothing else, I think that what you're what you're suggesting, Sam, uh, I I actually applaud you just for raising the question. Is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to celebrate you um, to say like exactly what does uh, like season X as a 19 year old, what does that equal for a 20 year old, and what can we expect from that? I don't know. How, I don't know necessarily how to adjust it, and I, I certainly don't know um, what answer to give you. But I do know that the, the question is fascinating. Is that did I say enough without saying anything?
2: Yeah. Well, let me. Um, maybe I can give you a little bit even more context for what the difference is between 19. 19- first off, I, I uh, made a mistake. It was uh, basically Renteria and Griffey uh, were adequate, and almost every other one was was bad. Um, but Over the course of history, um, there have been 15 seasons, according to baseball reference, of one war or greater at age 19. There have been uh, none greater than four. And as an example, Mickey Mantle was worth 1.3 war as a 19-year-old. Now, if you go to 20, uh, it's like you're in a whole different universe. Um, There are uh, 11 seasons over five. There are... Uh, there are actually um, 19 seasons better than the previous greatest 19-year-old season, and Mickey Mantle went from 1.3 to 6.3. Um, it's uh, and there are uh, there are 64 seasons of one war or greater. So, I don't know how much of that though is simply the fact that um, not every player. Uh, actually has an opportunity to play at 19, um, no matter how good you are. It, it takes not just skill but a, a particular set of circumstances to get you to the majors at 19, uh, no matter how good you are. Even, for instance, Trout um, played when he was 19, but he didn't uh, play but a few games there. And it's very uncommon for a, t- a player to start uh, the season at 19 or to, to start in, uh, in April, at age 19, and so it could just be simply that uh, a combination of Harper's uh, hype, Car- uh, Harper's uh, early early draft, uh, having left high school a year early, and Harper's uh, team, the situation that the Nationals found themselves in, um, put him in a position where he's able to succeed uh, better than anybody ever. But on the other hand, um, is competing against a much 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 smaller uh, pool of players.
1: So I guess relative to the best seasons ever at his age, Trout still surpassed it by more than Harper's. I guess.
2: Uh, well, I think that you would probably would have to use a multiplier effect, right? I mean, Trout did have. I think Trout outperformed Arod's previous record war. Uh, for a 19-year-old, by uh, something like one and a half, and Harper, if we're if we're just sticking with baseball reference, by 1.3. But uh, if you're if you're looking at percentage increase, then Harper would definitely uh, have it. There have been, uh, by the way, 199 previous 20-year-olds who have played um, in the major leagues since 1945, and there have been uh, 609 20-year-olds, so about
0: triple. 19 and tw- 19 and 20. Okay, yeah. Wow.
1: Well, I guess uh, it almost would have been disappointing if Harper hadn't done something historic in his first season, given the expectations and the level of mainstream awareness and the hype and all of
2: that. Well, it would have been disappointing, but that's that's sort of the the, the point. Is nineteen-year-olds virtually always disappoint you because their uh, hype almost always exceeds their actual ability? And Harper is the uh, perhaps the first of our lifetime, probably almost certainly the first of our lifetime, uh, unless you want to count Renteria, who mm-hmm. probably none of us really remember all that well uh, at the time, uh, who um, whose performance actually at nineteen was uh, was equal to his hype.
0: Right, and it wasn't just for, like, you could imagine, and I don't know if this was the case with Renteria necessarily, but you could imagine, like, a defense-first shortstop, uh, living up to it, or, or even a defense-first center fielder, maybe something like that, whose skills relied, um, greatly on athleticism.
2: The two things that I named, incidentally, of the last 22 years, uh, defense-first shortstop and a defense-first center fielder, Griffin and Renteria. So, okay, yeah.
0: yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so you could, so you could imagine that happening, right? And then the offenses, uh, you know, take what you can get. Um, but I think that in terms of hitting, especially, um, because, you know, while uh, you find young players with great contact skills, it's hard to find players that are that age, 19 or 20, who have both the power and or, uh, play discipline, uh, to, to survive at the major league level, you know, uh, especially if they're playing, I mean, Although Harper, I was looking at his defensive numbers, and, and uh, we've made all the proper caveats, I think, about sample size with regard to those. But he has at least profiled as an above-average center fielder. I don't know if that's actually the case. Uh, I've seen him take a couple of strange routes, but, um, but it, it, his numbers were certainly better than I anticipated.
2: Well, it's a good point. Actually, uh, the, the reason that Harper stands out over the previous 19-year-olds now that you mention it is because of his, his defense. Uh, if, you, if you change the search to um, OPS Plus and set a plate appearance minimum of 200, um, Harper's OPS Plus is now the second greatest for a 19-year-old since World War II. Uh, lags far behind Tony Conigliaro and is just um, just a, f- uh, a little bit ahead of Mickey Mantle, just a little bit ahead of Cesar Cedeno, and not that far ahead of Griffey or Claudel Washington. So, in fact, uh, by um, offensive measures, he is not uh, he has had an amazing season for a 19-year-old, but not quite a record-breaking one.
0: Yeah, it's funny that, uh, I mean, obviously because his career was uh, truncated by some um – by, some, by considerable amount, uh, Tony Canigliaro is not a name that we find ourselves going to very often. But if, if one effective method is a judging a player's, you know, his true talent and his future overall talent uh, by what he produces at, um, at what age relative to what level, then it's, you know, it's very possible that Tony Canigliaro was one of the best baseball players ever.
2: Well, he st- he actually had sort of uh, leveled off before the injury. He, his 2021 and 22 seasons were were basically n- not much of an improvement, and in fact, a oh, little bit of a step back.
0: I'm sorry. I actually, my headphones don't work when jerks are talking. So I guess this <laughs> is...
1: <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know we were coming here to to tear down Tony.
0: Camara. Yeah, why are you doing that? <laughs> is it is it because is it because you don't like the Red Sox? Or because he's Italian? Is it because he's Italian? You come uh, here, you come uh, to this podcast with an anti-Italian bias.
2: I actually have, um, I have actually gotten into the problem of the Italian Scourge uh, on this podcast before. As Ben can confirm,
0: <laughs> is that true? Uh, yes. I did,
2: yeah. I will uh, send you a link. It was embarrassing.
0: It sounds <laughs> horrible. Sounds terrifying. It
2: involved uh, it involved a famous baseball writer, and it was mostly accidental.
0: Yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing it. Okay. In my private, uh, my private time.
2: Carson, what uh, remind us what your dumb topic was?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I have an answer. <laughs> the league leaders of your heart or the league leaders in your heart. You can choose whichever preposition you want. Do
2: you, do you want to set the model for us? Can you tell us who yours is?
0: Uh, I would say among the league leaders.
2: Of we America. might have the same one. Um, I, I'm not – I wouldn't be shocked if we have the same one.
0: Um, is Max Scherzer. Uh, the, oh, reason, yes. the reason I like Max Scherzer so much, uh, first of all, um, he was the victim of uh, rather poor luck to begin the season. Um, I mean, entering the season. In any case, uh, he has two uh, different color eyes, which is strange. We can all agree on that. And he's noted and famous for pitching two pitch effects, by which I mean, at certain points in his career, especially when pitch FX was uh, first becoming sort of gaining notoriety, uh, he would pitch differently game to game to see what it looked like on the pitch FX readouts, which I consider a, a,
2: kidding me. An act this of, is a real thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would pitch. Um, a little bit differently, game to game, to see how PitchFX picked it up, which to me is, who? is a, an act of unparalleled nerve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no.
2: who was it? Who was it? Who who, uh, who discovered this?
0: I think it was a Detroit writer who talked about it. I think if you Google if you Google Scherzer and PitchFX, you'll find stuff on him. That might be apocryphal, the story I'm telling, but guess what? I believe it, so I don't care.
1: You think he could have arranged some sort of exhibition or test? If he had wanted to So as not to experiment in in a game situation But it's a much better story this way
0: Yeah, it's a much better story And I'm telling it like that Uh, And then Max Scherzer um, was very much a victim of Batted ball luck, etc Over the first half of the season And then proceeded to be uh, More or less the best pitcher over the second half Um, So uh, For those basic reasons Max Scherzer probably leads the league in my heart uh, I would say also, his pitching, his pitches are great. I mean, he's got like a ninety-three to ninety-eight mile per hour fastball, a uh, great slider, and a change that, uh, well, of varying degrees. Of
2: we talked about we talked about Max Scherzer on this podcast. I think Ben and I are both fans of his, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Ben actually wrote an early piece about him this year, predicting great things. Yes. And then it took um, about one month of extras or being absolutely terrible before that came true. So yeah. I don't know
0: that ben, ben gets credit.
1: Yeah. One of my few successes.
0: Very prescient, Ben. Very prescient. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Uh, ben? Okay. Well, I guess uh, for reasons that aren't entirely clear to me even, Brian Bruni has been leading uh, the league in my heart for several seasons now. Uh, and Brian Bruni pitched one perfect inning this season, uh, and it was the most Brian Bruni inning possible. He struck out two batters and he walked two batters. And Did he also the end. he
2: pitched he pitched imperfect innings among them, or that was nope, the only that inning was it. He
1: That was one inning, and then he was done. Uh, so that was possibly my favorite individual season of 2012. Uh, mm-hmm. But to go with the more conventional choice, uh, I guess I couldn't really do better than. The combination, if you allow me to pick two, of R.A. Dickey and Fernando Rodney, uh, who have certainly had two of the most improbable pitching seasons, and there is nothing that makes me like a player more than doing something improbable. Uh, So the combination of the hard knuckleball that no one has really ever thrown before and the control that he has with it uh, and the recent revelation that he's been pitching with a torn muscle for most of the season – uh, uh, and the way that he holds runners on, which there was an article at BP about earlier this week, uh, all contribute to my affection for R.A. Dickey's season. And of course, Fernando Rodney's, uh, turnaround has been well documented, but, uh, his transition or his, uh, reinvention as a control pitcher who does not allow any runs is something that has been a constant source of enjoyment throughout the season.
2: The thing I like about Rodney is that it raises the question of whether this was actually um, uh, validation of, of Tony Regan's for signing him to such a ridiculous tr- contract, whether, in fact, Tony Regan's was right all along and that it was just uh, stupid Mike Butcher or somebody who was keeping Rodney from succeeding, um, because maybe um, maybe Regan saw the same thing that the Rays did, and it was simply that the um, Angels weren't able to uh to mine that something
1: yes although i guess if they weren't able to mine that something then that speaks to their decision to sign him
2: possibly well uh maybe but i mean you know regans can only do so much he's uh he's a he's a genius but he's a solitary genius
0: well you have to account for your coaching staff though too i mean wouldn't that be something you take into account
2: uh, it would, but what are you gonna do? Not sign great players? Not sign the best pitcher in the major leagues? <laughs> really? Are you gonna turn down the best pitcher in the major leagues just because you, uh, you can't trust your manager and pitching coach with them? Oh. At a certain point, you just have to, you have to trust the guys in your organization. Nobody likes a, a boss that tries to do everything. You want Regans to go down there and fix Rodney?
0: He'll do it. <laughs> He'll do it if he has to. <laughs> uh, can I, I also... Wait, can I follow up on, on Bruni? Yes, please. Uh, because I'm curious, a couple things. Uh, Lindbergh, did you see that inning live?
1: Uh, I did, yes. Uh, it was the
0: only inning of baseball he <laughs> watched. Yes.
1: I, I am not a, a watcher of baseball or a great watcher of baseball, uh, especially for someone who writes about it. But I was informed that Bruni had been called up, and so I was prepared. Uh, he had pitched in Triple A extremely well for the second straight season. Uh, And so I was forewarned that there could be a Brian Bruni appearance in the offing.
0: And uh, this is uh, what team again?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that that is an insult. Uh, He was with the White Sox for his one inning.
0: Okay, yeah. I would have guessed uh, Yankees. I would have
2: guessed Orioles at this point. (laughs) Yes,
0: that is usually the safest bet.
2: <laughs> uh I like uh I like that Ben attempted to give a conventional answer to the question who is the major league leader <laughs> in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I mean if you're going to hold me to it you know uh, <laughs> let me get serious for a second. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh
2: and my uh my turn my pick uh, is Sean Doolittle. Oh, uh, good. I, I think that the the thing that I love most um about baseball is when a um, and in fact, I think Ben and I have talked about how any any unusual thing you introduce to the sport is welcome to us. That we will we will cheer anything, uh, up to and including a pit uh, in the field. Um, and the reason is that I think that by adding these strange variables, you end up uh, learning about the sport in ways that um, at this point in. Uh, in in the academy, it is hard to continue learning. And um, so Sean Doolittle taught us, I think, a lot about baseball because Sean Doolittle, as everybody is aware probably, was uh, not a pitcher as of 14 months ago, had never... Pitched in a professional game, had never stood on the mound in a professional game, and because of an, uh, lingering injuries to his first baseman's body, they started having him throw a long toss. They liked his arm. They moved him to the mound. He threw his first inning in the last game of, I believe, the Instructional League last year, which means we have not yet reached the one-year anniversary of his debut on the mound. He pitched 26 or 27 batters, I think. I think 26 or 27 batters in the minors, and then they called him up, and he has been a dominant Major League reliever. He has the 10th best strikeout to walk ratio among all Major League pitchers this year, uh, with a minimum of 40 innings. He um, has... Struck out 58 batters in 43 games. He has a sterling record in ERA and WHIP and all those things. And uh, I think what it taught us is that um, Major League Baseball, which for years we've been told pitching is complicated and uh, mentally challenging and, and that it takes years to learn how to do it um, and that it is an academic pursuit as much as it is a physical one, it, that is probably true for starters. But for, uh, for one-third of the game, For one-third of the pitchers, for one-third of the innings that are thrown, it has nothing to do with any of that. It is simply throwing fastballs, and um, that's what relievers are these days. That's what the Major League bullpen is now, and it's a wonderful thing to realize just how simple it is. And I I hope that there are uh, many Sean Doolittles to come. He is also a very nice person who... um, I I say that because he one time talked to me. Uh, that's <laughs> the, the only thing that I require um,
0: of anyone. Actually, uh, Sam Miller will call will refer to you as nicest guy in the world, um, or, uh, or or lady. All you have to do is talk to him
2: once. once. Uh, so Sean Doolittle leads the league in my heart.
0: Yeah.
1: So what you're saying is anyone can be a reliever, you or I. We could just go out there and pump fastballs
0: within a year. That's
1: what I'm taking from this.
0: Yeah. Now Is it, uh, I don't. Oh, actually, I do uh, have Sean Doolittle's um, pitch mix before me. In um, to your point, and it, it does appear as though he's been throwing in 85% or more uh, fastballs.
2: Yes, um, and in fact, if if you uh, this might be a fun project for you, Carson. If you go back and watch his breaking ball over the course of the year, you will see a delightful inconsistency to it as it goes <laughs> from curve curveball to slider and back again. Uh, it really is a pitch that he is learning on the fly, and he uses it. and I've seen him strike batters out, and it is sometimes a very attractive pitch. Um, but it's uh, it's fascinating how uh, un- unrefined it is, and and to see a pitcher learn. At this level is um, something that you don't expect.
0: I guess at that point, if he's throwing, because he's throwing what ninety ninety four. He 11. averages ninety
2: four. He hits ninety seven. And when he was in college, he hit uh, he he basically sat eighty seven and reached ninety. So uh he, he was a reliever in college as well. And not not considered a very good prospect, but probably draftable.
0: Hmm. One wonders why he was playing first base uh, if he, he was a much. Well, because arm, he man. was. Because
2: uh, well, Carson, what I just
0: said—he
2: was he was throwing eighty-seven in college and topping out at ninety. Yeah, right. And but I mean,
0: relative to say right field, for example, I mean maybe it has to do with his mobility, I, I guess. But um, he
2: was considered—he was considered a, a, a maybe a JT Snow type as a first baseman. They saw more value there than they ever did as a pitcher. It was really once they started working on his mechanics that he added the velocity. Okay.
1: And and once he spoke to Sam Miller. Whoa. Really, was Whoa. when things turned around for him.
0: Uh, it should be noted his numbers in the minors as a uh, as a hitter. Uh, I'm going to guess that some of this is a combination of California League and um, and uh, PCL. Um, but uh, he did have some good numbers. At the, he did. Uh, he was.
2: He would have been a guy who would have been probably on. Um, On like a a a team top ten list, but not a uh, certainly not a prospect one hundred list. So, you know that kind of guy.
1: I'd like to compliment Carson on his ability to soundlessly browse the internet while we. His keyboard, his keyboard is silent, very loud, really.
2: I I think a quiet quiet click, but a very loud keyboard.
0: Uh Oh, for me, you can hear it.
1: I can't hear a thing. You couldn't. No.
0: But you could, Miller. You're sure that's not. that was probably me. You're sure, it's not Linda? Uh, It
2: could have been Ben. It, it was uh, at, at parts of the show that I would have expected you to be distracted rather than Ben.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've, I've tried to be pretty quiet. I also have a microphone that uh, is uh, unidirectional, and so it helps to prevent sound, other sounds, from um, entering into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, I thought this was fun. Should we do this again sometime?
0: Yeah, I think sometime. We should. Yeah. Is okay. this how it ends? Well, usually what I say is. Uh, this has been excellent. Um, stick around for some adult conversation. I usually invite the guests for adult conversation <laughs> afterwards.
2: Okay, well, why don't you why don't you do that and then play us out?
0: Oh, yeah, I'll play us out. Um, that reminds me of that uh, you ever seen that Bill O'Reilly? Uh, there's a Bill O'Reilly YouTube video, and uh, he's like on Nightline as a younger man, and he's like what. What does this mean? What does play us out mean? He's just yeah. absolutely <laughs> yeah. well, we'll, berating his producer.
2: <laughs> okay, well, Carson, we'll do it live.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes, we will do it live. Hey, listen, though, guys. I, I, yeah, I would like to thank you for participating in this experiment.
1: Thank okay. you for proposing it.
0: Yeah, that's Sam Miller. That's Ben Lindberg. I'm Carson Sestouli. Do you guys agree to that? <laughs> yes.
1: This,
0: I will has been, that this has been simultaneously Fangraphs audio and effectively wild.